Thank you, Derek, for reading for us. Thank you all for leading us in song. Jesse's oh, Jesse isn't here. I was like, she's not in here, but thanks. Thanks. That was great. There's always something about moving our attention to Christmas hymns. We always sing about Jesus. Every, every of the 52 weeks of the year, we always sing about Jesus. Uh, but maybe it's just in my own heart. There's something about Christmas music uh, that is just a particular joy. I want us this morning, as we turn to God's Word, as we look through all of these, probably as you were hearing Derek read, and perhaps you were reading along in Scripture, you were probably like, wow, I didn't know that that's how you'd pronounce that name. Um, this, is the, this, is, this is the question. Will Derek and I pronounce these names similarly as we go through uh, this four-week series? This series is very loosely titled, It Took Place in This Way. As Derek just read for us in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Matthew is building a foundation for identifying for us who is this Jesus. If, if Jesus is the point of this book, and Matthew certainly would say that he is, who is he? He's building a case throughout this history, throughout this genealogy, that Jesus actually is who he says he is. And so as we look at these things, I want us to be able to see that Jesus is the sufficient Savior for sinners. Jesus is the sufficient Savior for sinners. You may say in verse 1 through 6, where are you getting that? I'm getting it in verse 21. That Jesus was sent to save sinners. If you even look the way that Matthew says it, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew ends his gospel by Jesus' very words. Jesus' very words in Matthew chapter 28 where he declares to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is a bold claim. So who is it who can say these things? It's the same person who midway through Matthew's gospel finds himself to be on a boat with his disciples. And he essentially tells the winds and the waves amidst this crazy storm to hush. (laughs) You knock it off. And his disciples see this action happen over nature, and they say, who is this that even the winds and waves obey him? Later, and we looked at this even just a few weeks ago, when Peter confesses the Christ, Jesus asks the disciples and those who follow him, who do the people say that I am? Right? What's at stake here? Who's Jesus? And Matthew, likewise, wants to, from the jump, remind us who this Jesus is. I want to take you to the historical context. Matthew is the first gospel in the New Testament, probably written somewhere in the first century, around maybe 60, 70, 80 A.D. Uh, I feel some pressure knowing that you just came off of a Matthew class like nine months ago, but I'm going to preach it uh, by God's grace faithfully. Um, And so 
as it's being written, as these events are taking place, the people of God have come off of being in exile. They've been uprooted from both Judah and Israel, the northern and the southern kingdoms. They've both been ransacked at different parts in their history, and they've now ceased to have any revelation from God. Dark. Quiet. No prophet. No word from the Lord. For 400 years. Think about that just in light of 400 years. We're looking at genealogies. Can you name the person in your family tree that goes back 400 years? I was trying to think of my great-grandparents, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Let's see. 400 years. I find it interesting. The further I get to the east, there's more history here obviously, because that's where folks landed and began to uh, start this crazy thing we call the United States. Uh, 400 years precedes the date of uh, independence by nearly 200 years, 150-ish to be more precise. Think about that. No revelation from the, the Lord, no hearing from one of his prophets for 400 years, generation after generation after generation, clinging to the promises that God has made to their people from of old, that through this seed, through the offspring of Abraham, all of the people of the earth will be blessed. Think about how much they would be clinging to the reality that this person's coming. Yet after each and every generation, as a glimmer of light seems to dim, thinking it's not going to happen. But the pages of the New Testament open with this reminder that should, with a megaphone type of volume, remind us God does not forget his promises. Because when he opens with, in his genealogy, Matthew says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. As Derek read that for us, Jesus the Messiah. The same is true no matter how you want to render that word. Jesus is the prophesied and fulfilled Savior, Messiah of all the world. So Matthew identifies, this is who I'm talking about, and I want to show you and trace for you how he connects to every one of the promises that God has made to our ancestors. We can trust this Messiah. As one commentator said that in this time, in Judeo-Christian time, there would have been a hope for and a seeking of many different messiahs. Anyone in the line of David, maybe he's going to be the messiah. Maybe he's going to set things right. And then they die. And you move on to the next one. Well, maybe his son will be the Messiah. He'll be the one who will save us, who will be a blessing to all of our ancestors. Maybe him. With this megaphone in the middle of a dark night, Matthew writes and connects Jesus, this Messiah, this Christ, to all of the major players in God's covenants among his people. He says, this Jesus is the son of David. The son of David. 
Why would it be significant that Matthew's connecting Jesus to David? Well, think about it just real quick. And we're just going to go over today, just so you are aware. We're going to go over 12 o'clock. So, Merry Christmas. He identifies Jesus as the son of David because it was David who God has covenanted with in 2 Samuel chapter 7 by saying that a heir will not depart from the throne. But no, I will make you a kingdom and, and this inheritance that will be forever, an everlasting dominion, an everlasting kingship. And so when Matthew connects Jesus with David, there would be in the hearers, maybe this is the guy. Maybe, maybe Jesus, this long lost descendant of King David, right? Jesus comes as a Davidic king. Jesus doesn't come on a white horse to establish his kingdom and overthrow Jerusalem or Rome or any of these things. No, but he will do that when he comes again. When he comes again, Revelation reminds us that he will come and he will establish his rule and reign on this earth. But when he came as a Davidic king, he came on the foal of a colt. And they laid down their coats on the ground. And what did they say? Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They recognized that this Jesus, Zephaniah 3, was the one in whom was going to make them sing for joy. This new king. And to hear that this Jesus is connected with the Davidic kingdom, who would have immediately had a glimmer of of hope. But not only that, Matthew then goes and says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And you may be like, Sean, we were in Genesis for like 17 and a half years. We know that Abraham is the offspring of all of these different things and that David is a descendant of Abraham. So if he's a descendant of Abraham or if he's a descendant of David, he's going to be a descendant of Abraham. Makes sense. David's a descendant of Abraham. So if Jesus is a descendant of David, that is how normal uh, family trees work, okay? <laughs> the end. But the promises that God gives to Abraham, remember Genesis chapter 3, 15, that there will be, because the sin of Adam and Eve, there will be enmity between the woman and the serpent. The serpent will try and crush the woman at every moment. We see this every single day. We see that the powers and principalities at work in our world are trying to squash out with everything in them the hope of the gospel and the promise that is and will be in Christ. It's trying to do it every moment. Turn on the news. You can see it, right? But the promise is not that the serpent will overcome the woman, not that the serpent will continue to do this forever. The promise is there's a seed coming who will crush the serpent's head. This is the moment in the football game where everybody goes, yeah! But it doesn't stop there because God then covenants with Abram, then Abraham, and he covenants and he says, your offspring will be as numerous as the stars. It'll be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. 
and in your offspring all of the nations will be blessed. So when Matthew identifies Jesus as the offspring of David, the offspring of Abraham, all of the prophetic information that all of these Israelites would have had is at least starting to trigger, right? We know throughout the Gospels that not all of the religious leaders, not all Jews have trusted in Christ. Not all of them would see Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promises. But you would have at least had to think, this might be him. And Matthew is trying to identify for us and will identify through us uh, through the remainder of his gospel that this Jesus is in fact the prophesied Messiah. So I want us to just really quickly uh, to talk about Jesus as the sufficient Savior for sinners. Jesus is the sufficient Savior for sinners. We've already started by identifying who this Savior is through this lineage. Uh, Matthew starts at the jump by saying, son of David, son of Abraham. But then he also continues to talk about uh, these other connecting points from Abraham down to David. I don't want to skip over them. I don't want to preach a genealogy and not preach a genealogy. So that's why we're going to go late, okay? Um, <laughs> But so in talking about these things, what is, what is Matthew doing? Matthew's identifying, just as we sang in the song, that Jesus came in human flesh. In the Advent, and especially in the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus is the Word made flesh. Who has human descendants? Humans. We affirm wholeheartedly that Jesus is fully man. His genealogy of men affirms that he is fully man. And at the same time, we affirm what verses 22 through 25 affirm, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? The third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. So Jesus is fully man, and he is fully God. He is divine, and he is human. Both of those things are essential for him to be the sufficient Savior that these descendants need, that I need, and that we all need. Scripture reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And the blood of goats and bulls is not sufficient to cleanse of sin. So we need the blood of a human Savior. That sounds really gross. In some ways, it is. That is the price for our sin. Jesus being a perfect man. As I read, Jesus becoming like us. He comes and he speaks like us. He walks on the earth like us. He does these things like us. But the writer of Hebrews denotes that Jesus was tried and tempted just as we are, but unlike us, without sin. Jesus is our sufficient Savior and that He is human and He is sinless. Jesus is the fulfillment 
of all of the promises that God has made from of old through Abraham, through David, and on to us. From there, in verse 2, we get this genealogy. We get this family tree. And for the most part, for those of you who were here during Genesis, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard these names. Maybe we've forgotten them. But no, they are connected through Abraham. And the writer wants us to recognize this is the family of the Messiah. This is the family of the Christ. Uh, I think most of us got to celebrate Thanksgiving your pastor notwithstanding. <laughs> Thanksgiving is always that weird time around the table where your crazy uncles that you haven't seen in forever are there and you kind of wish maybe they weren't. Maybe it's not an uncle, maybe it's another person, <laughs> but I, I just, just saying. The same is true for Jesus' genealogy. In this day, genealogies would not have included women, and they certainly, if it was a genealogy of a king, they would not have included those who had any type of tarnished reputation at all. Why? Because this is a king, right? As the movies all say, he is nobility. You can't have any black sheep in the family of the king. But in Jesus' family, we see that there are sinners in the family tree. This should bring us all great hope. That in the midst of Jesus being a sufficient Savior for sinners, Jesus is not just a sufficient Savior in general. Jesus is a sufficient Savior for sinners like me and you. And there are sinners in the family tree. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, at this point, we've all been through Genesis. We've already gone through just really quickly these names, and we could probably think, yep, Abraham didn't really trust God the way that he was supposed to, and that didn't go super well. Yeah. Um, let's see, Jacob was a swindler. How's Jacob in here? Because he's a part of the family. You don't get to choose who's at the Thanksgiving table. They just are. And the same is true for Jesus. And the reminder is that this Jesus is a Savior for sinners. He is a sufficient Savior for sinners. Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah, and his brothers, right? Remember, Jacob then renamed Israel. The 12 sons became the 12 tribes. Uh, but then in Judah, where we're reminded that the tribe or the scepter of Judah, it will not depart, right? Jacob blesses his sons, and he gives these scathing reports of the first two, and then it's Judah who says, Judah is a lion's cub. The scepter of Judah will not depart. That's a prophetic pronouncement that through Judah, through this line, the king will come. The promise from Genesis chapter 3.15 is going to come through Judah. The promises of Genesis uh, 18, Genesis 20, where his offspring all of the nations will be blessed. It's going to come through Judah. But then here in this timeline, here in this genealogy, Judah 
the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar's a woman. Do we remember how Perez and Zerah were conceived? Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law. Judah was entitled to give another one of his sons to Tamar as her husband. And he wasn't being faithful to do that. So Tamar took it upon herself to dress as a cult prostitute and go to her father-in-law, Judah. And he sleeps with her. And they conceive these children. Friends, if you're trying to make the lineage of Jesus human heirs, human genealogy any better, you're not including this. But Jesus is a sufficient Savior for sinners. Friends, they're in the genealogy. That ought to give us great hope. That if we are as far away from Christ as physically and spiritually possible, there's hope for us because the Savior came, because He is sufficient, not just because He was born in the fashion that He was born, though that is integrally and vital to who Jesus is as a person, but also because of what He does. That in His living, He stayed sinless. In his obedience to the Father, spotless. In his keeping of the law, blameless. And this Jesus took that reputation to the cross on our behalf. I love the song. I think about it pretty much every time I preach a sermon like this. Hark the herald the angels sing. There's a part, we repeated it. Born that men no more will die. Christ the Son came in human flesh, died the death that we deserve, that humans, man and woman like us, by faith in Him, don't have to die that same death that we deserve. Friends, Jesus is a sufficient Savior of sinners just like Tamar, just like me, by grace. And it continues. Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab. I'd encourage you, I'm not going to get into this, I'd encourage you if you're like, man, I'm really interested in these people and what they maybe did. You're going to find that there's not a ton of information on many of these folks, but... They are mentioned as these lines conclude and start up with the sun. So find it in the Old Testament. I think you'll be encouraged. Um, Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. There's this denotion in each point, by, that clues us into seeing why is the mother being included? Again, in this time, these genealogies would not have included the mothers. There would have been no point. But in this, there is a point in that Jesus is a part of this family. 
In his humanity, he is a part of the sinful mess just like we are. I'm sure I could go on a list of ways in which family members of mine have made wrecks of their lives at different points. I'm sure I could give you examples from my own life where I've made a wreck of my life, right? I've heard some stories about some of y'all's families in here. They're like, if I mention on the live stream, we're deleting. We all can understand what this is like, yet Jesus is not ashamed. Jesus is not ashamed to have these family members in his line. I love the reminder in the New Testament that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. Jesus is not ashamed to come in human flesh. Jesus is not ashamed, but he humbles himself to death, even death on a cross, and he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. That he would do that for sinners is incredible. Sam and the father of Boaz by Rahab. Who is Rahab? Let's go. Old Testament history. Rahab. The spies are about to inherit the land. And they go in and they're finding respite in Rahab's home. And the reminder in the text is that Rahab was a prostitute. And yet here, Boaz was born by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. What's the reminder of Ruth? Ruth was the one whose husband was killed in the midst of famine, died in the midst of famine. Her brother-in-law also died in the midst of famine. Her uh, father-in-law died in the midst of famine. And her mother, Naomi, her mother-in-law, Naomi, is the one who says, "I've, I've gone away a happy person, and now I come back and I'm bitter. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, for I have nothing. And yet, here we have Rahab. Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Hopefully, we don't need to jog our memory too much. David and Bathsheba. Not a fine moment in the history of Israel's kings. David's supposed to be at war, out in the battle lines, and instead he's committing adultery with another man's wife, and she becomes pregnant. Add insult to injury, sin upon sin, so to speak, David has Uriah put on the front lines and withdraws the rest of the fleet so that he can ensure Uriah would die. At every point, he tries to cover it up. And yet, they are included in this genealogy. Another connecting point between all of these women, Tamar, of Rahab, of Ruth, of Bathsheba, they all had connections to Gentile lines. Ruth, a Gentile, a Moabitess. Tamar, a a Canaanite prostitute. At least, Bathsheba married a Hittite outside of the people of God. What, again, is the reminder? Jesus is the sufficient Savior for sinners, and God has integrally connected that He is 
in Christ, bringing those who are outside of the covenant people of God to him through this Savior. Not just one nation, but all nations will be blessed by this Jesus. Because the sufficient Savior took our sin and theirs, all of those in this genealogy on the cross, those who trust in him, even in this lineage, can by faith inherit the kingdom of God. How can I say that? Because the writer of Hebrews says that Abraham longed to see that day, that day being the day of Christ and his kingdom being inaugurated. And so too, those who looked through the promises of God to see Christ as Savior would be saved through the sufficient Savior for sinners. Friends, this is why Christ came. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did what the Lord had commanded. Sorry, I started too late. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, verse 21, for he will save his people from their sins. Because of who Jesus is, because of what he does on the cross, May this Advent season remind us with great joy of Christ's coming, but may it not stop there. As one commentator said, we cannot affirm in our minds that Jesus is some great Savior without coming to the end of ourselves, recognizing our own sin and repenting and swearing allegiance to this King. Until you've done that, friend, until you've sworn allegiance to Christ, you've trusted in Him by faith and you've turned from your sin, until that day, Jesus is just a mythical person, just like Santa. And there are kids in the room. Santa's very real. He's not. Jesus is. And friend, the call to trust in Jesus... The cost of not trusting in Jesus is death. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve spiritual coal for Christmas. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, Jesus, as the descendant of David, the descendant of of Abraham, the faithful, obedient son, taking our death and penalty of sin to the cross by raising victoriously on the third day and now sitting by reigning and ruling at the right hand of God is our sufficient Savior. Do not let today go by without trusting in Christ. Trust in Him this morning, for He is sufficient for you just as He was for all of his descendants. For by him, all of the nations will be blessed. This morning, bow your knee to him if you've yet to trust in Christ. Bow your knee. Proclaim that Christ is Lord of your life.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of Jesus, the goodness of the gospel. We thank you that Jesus is a sufficient Savior for sinners, sinners like us, that he took on flesh, (coughs) that he laid down his life. Father, may we not go through this season without turning our hearts and affections toward him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.